The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. After the holidays, a little cash goes a long way. The Chime checking account has tons of benefits to help, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and thousands of fee-free ATMs. You can even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. Sign up for Chime today at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA members of FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. This is Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Forget Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USC is 5-7 and seven and not going to a ball. Oh, all right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio. After USC's 31-26 win over the Arizona State Sun Devils in Tempe, we are in the Rot Studio East to talk about this. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. We're joined along with a special guest, Reign of Troy contributor, Trent Goodrich. Hey, everybody. How you doing? And Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. How about that game, eh? Like, SC pulls it out at the end with a game-winning interception. Could not be a more exciting... Uh, no. The drama. <laughs> the drama, Michael. Where do we begin? I mean, SC Are we going to start calling these guys the cardiac kids? You know what be... How long until, like, USC, like, the official, like, athletic uh, Twitter account starts calling them that? Uh, T-minus 30 seconds. <laughs> You're you're not you're not getting that kind of energy from me. I was fall felt like I was gonna fall asleep in the stands. It was it wasn't a nervousness. It was uh it was an app started heading towards apathy. The the entire yeah. the last three quarters were super sleepy. I thought it was just gonna be the second quarter at first, and then no, that just continued and continued and continued. It's a game in which in the first quarter, SC outgains ASU three hundred and fifteen to one. I've never seen a more dominant stat in my life. 315 to 1. Keaton Slovis goes 15 to 17, 297 yards, four touchdowns, including a 95 yard touchdown to Amon Ross St. Brown. It is the most beautiful quarter of USC football in your life. Maybe with the exception of a 95 yard kick return from uh, Brandon Ayuk just to set up an ASU score that you really can't blame the defense for. But USC jumps out to this 28 to 7 lead. ASU looked terrible. Jaden Daniels did not play in this game. They're, they're going to another freshman quarterback from Orange County named Joey Yellen. He's never had a snap in his life in college. Well, he, he had a snap against UCLA. But it was taken away for a penalty or something like that. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. N- not in the stat book. Technically not a snap. Technically, yeah. So, here he goes. He's in there. ASU looks anemic in the first quarter. And SC looks incredible. And you're like, okay, well, this is just going to be this game. We've seen this before. Every time USC comes to Tempe now, they use ASU as a, you know, a remedy to fix their their ills, ails, whatever. Uh, we saw this in 2015 after the Stanford loss. They bounce back and they blow out ASU. In 2017, after the Notre Dame loss, they bounce back and they blow out ASU. So here we are in 2019 after the Oregon blowout. Well, definitely they're going to bounce back and Smothered issue? No, no, they didn't do that. Hey, if somebody watched the game and then took a nap at the start of the second quarter, they could live in a universe where USC did smother ASU. True. What if someone got in a coma at the end of the first quarter and wakes up years from now and is like, so how many yards did Keaton Slovis end up with? Did he get to like a thousand? Yeah, I mean, it. USC came out firing on all cylinders, um, they, throwing up 28 points in the first quarter. That was really impressive to see. And then it kind of just kind of just slid away. It, it got away from them. And uh, 
I don't know. That's kind of been the MO of this team is you, you look really good for a little while and then all of a sudden the other team's sliding right back in there. I think it was uh, Annenberg Media or, or maybe it was the Daily Trojan who pointed out that this was the third straight game that USC scored a touchdown on the opening drive. And like th- this was even upping the ante on that because USC has been pretty good in the first quarter of well, they, a lot of the first games. four games they did it too. Yeah. And in all of those games, it was like, a man, they're good, but they're going to regret not getting more points on the board. And in this game, it was like, oh, they're actually getting points on the board. They're finishing these drives with turnovers. They are dominant, and the scoreboard shows how dominant they are. And then this, you, you get into the second quarter, and it's like complacency sets in. And all of a sudden, and Graham Harrell said this after the game, they're like, yeah, we were really we were executing in the first quarter, and then we just stopped executing. And it's like, well, okay, yes, this is the explanation, but... The big thing that people want to know is why? Like, why can't you execute two quarters in a row? Well, and part of it, it looked like they were pretty free and easy. Like there was a weight off their shoulders in the first quarter. And they had a lot of explosive plays, Mm -hmm. a lot of long touchdown throws and um, broken tackles. We talked about that a little bit. Um, So they're looking they're looking fantastic. But then ASU. I don't know. This team gets complacent and maybe they felt like they had already accomplished the mission. Uh, not totally sure. And ASU starts chipping away and USC can't respond. And maybe that's part of the, the offense. The offense looked dynamic in the first quarter. It looked like they were calling different plays and it's somewhat similar to the Oregon game. And then uh, Oregon or uh ASU got comfortable, I think, on defense. They they figured it out. They started to understand what USC was doing, and USC got more simple on offense. And Oregon got or Oregon keep saying that <laughs> ASU doesn't got, really matter who yeah. who USC is playing any week. We can apply <laughs> exactly. these car casts to every week. Yeah, and ASU got comfortable, and uh, USC couldn't couldn't adjust from that point. The interesting thing is, you know, we were talking. We had talked really all week that it'd be great and for months, all season. It'd be great if the play calling was a little bit more dynamic in how they use the running backs. Uh, use use screens. If you're not going to be able to run the football, use screens and throw to the running backs, especially in light of all the injuries at running back. And another game in which Vi, Carr, and Step are out. Three straight games in which that, that happened. Vi and Carr warm up, but they don't actually suit up and play. And we saw that. There, there was... A first read pass to Keenan Christen in the first quarter. You're like, oh my God. They actually threw to him like on a first read pass that wasn't just a check down in which he's just standing at the line of scrimmage waiting for Keaton Slovis to give up on the play. And they did that. And then we saw a ton of screens. All but one of them, I feel like, worked. So they were doing things that that I feel like I have been calling for for a long time. Really throughout the game, they were doing the screens. They, they didn't throw to Keenan Christen much outside of the first quarter. But I... I like I, I want to watch the game back again and just think like what the hell happened like like how did it go awry is it simply execution is it simply ASU's adjustments and then SC can't respond to that it's probably a mixture of everything I don't think we can sit here and blame the injuries because like you oh, know that's a lame excuse of we, we were talking in the car sorry Keely. sorry Keely. about how you know you, it'd be one thing if you sat here and said you know. SC's offense just didn't look good when Matt Fink was in there. Keaton Slovis gets hurt and comes out and Matt Fink goes in. If it was just those three drives, it'd be one thing. Who cares? Shrug, whatever. But they started struggling in the second quarter when Brett Nealon was still still in there and Keaton Slovis was still in there. So you can't say that the slump was just pertaining to injuries. Not at all. And and honestly, like that was... There were two really eye-rolling moments in the post-game presser, and the second of them was that when Clay Hilton was asked what changed between the first quarter and the second quarter, and he said, he just started giving a list of all the names. Oh, you know, Keaton Slovis and Eric Cromenhoek and Brett Nealon and, uh, you know, Greg Johnson and blah, 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 all the players they were missing. And it was just like, Clay, no, like... You don't get to make that excuse. The, the the problems that we're seeing are very familiar problems. Like we just said, like you could apply everything we're about to say and everything we have said to the Oregon game and to the Notre Dame game and to the Washington game and every other game that, that, that USC has played this year. So you don't get to sit there and say like, oh, it was just the injuries. Like it's beyond the injuries. And really, this is maybe maybe this is the, the problem that USC has in that Graham Harrell came in. And his 
his uh, prerogative was to set up a very simple execution offense. And I like, I have to wonder, is it just too easy to figure out? Like, is it just too simple for a defense to look at, say, okay, we get it now. And we know you, we know that you're not holding anything back for the second quarter. We know you're not holding anything back for the third quarter. Or the fourth quarter. So once you figure out, once like you said, the, like Trent said, the the um, the de- the defenders getting more com- more comfortable facing that, then it all goes to hell. And then USC, when they're under pressure, when they're not loose, and when they're not feeling like they they can just go out there and rip it, then they start getting tight, and then they start making mistakes. Uh, players drop passes. Keenan Kristen fumbles. Keaton Slovis starts getting happy feet. Um, the, you know, just every little mistake that, that can happen, interceptions, turnovers, just general missteps. And it just, I don't know. I don't know. The whole thing is just, you can't blame injuries. Is, is, is that what that long diatribe gets down to? No. And, you know, defensively, SC gives up 26 points. Uh, I'll, I'll only blame 19 on the defense. The first seven, entirely on special teams. Yes. Can we talk about special teams for a minute here, actually? Oh, Lord. So. (laughs) Should we even? (laughs) What is there to say? Okay. To John Baxter's credit, he made a major adjustment in this game. Did it work? I don't think it worked. (laughs) No. (laughs) I mean, he may have proven why the whole talk about the Oregon game. Why didn't you squib kick it? Well, we just saw what happens when they squib kick it. They get the ball at the 50. The squib kicking didn't work. That, but it, hey, at least it showed some wherewithal, but at the same point. Was that John Baxter or, like, honestly. It shouldn't have taken this long, Honestly, was that John Baxter or was that Clay Hilton finally getting fed up and going, Squib kick the ball because this is maybe bull crap. I put on Twitter. Why not just onside every time? I mean, just just try if, it. If you're gonna give them the ball at midfield, Who anyways, I, onside go it. Go for it. Well, and what was funny was that the first squib kick went to one side of the field, and when it was returned for a long gain, they actually switched to the other side of the field and started squibbing to the other side. They went, oh, maybe this is the side that we should be squibbing to. And uh, that went a little better for a little while. And then the ball started going out of bounds on the squib Ugh. kick. And I mean, ASU I just was having their troubles. Like that, that's oh, the, the yeah. funny thing. The funny thing is that ASU was a struggle. But, but ASU, like USC has had a consistent kickoff specialist this entire year. ASU, you look at like their special teams stuff. Like in, before the game, I was doing the, the who has the edge thing. That we put on RangerShore.com and like when I was looking at special teams, they haven't had a consistent kickoff guy. Like they have had, they've changed it week to week. You know, they, they know this is a problem and they have not been able to solve it. Like USC hasn't even tried to change what they're doing in that regard. Like they just, except they decided this week to just start squibbing it. And obviously they weren't prepared, which is the biggest indictment because they spend so much time on special teams, you'd think they'd have plan B, plan C, and plan D settled, but no. And this is where John Baxter would use the excuse of like, oh, we have so many injuries that I'm, you know, don't have my consistent special team squad. But like... On the other hand, the punting tonight was phenomenal oh, from on both boy. on both sides. Both sides, we saw some fantastic punting and uh, that definitely turned out to be a weapon for both teams. My God, Ben Griffith. Oh, my God. <laughs> the the ASU punter, Turk, that dude, that dude, monster. But I knew going in, like, they, he, he's one of the better punters in the country, and he has been all season. Yeah, he— And we saw why. He averaged 48.7 yards per punt while still downing five punts inside the 20. Yeah. I mean, if, if you want to talk about a weapon— that's a weapon. His long was 63, and Amon Ra actually had a really nice return on that one, which uh, negated the yardage that he put yeah. on that. But at the same time, you can't really criticize him for putting it out there. He didn't necessarily outkick the coverage. Amon Ra got a little bit of a head start, but uh, that was that was a pretty fantastic well, punt. Amon Ra had to either break a tackle or spin out of a tackle or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they didn't have it covered. They just didn't execute when they had it covered. But it wasn't just that he was pinning them inside the 20. Like He was pinning them drop dead at the two yard line or drop yeah. the coffin corner out like jeez. And, and you see ben griffiths with the one where he gets it right at the one yard which line. they almost screwed up again this almost, is what they screwed what, what was it the washington game or what what game was it what, uh, notre dame notre dame yeah where he's just p- 
pinning them and the coverage team doesn't know what the hell they're doing. They got away with that one. They tried their damnedest to let that fall into the end zone. Yeah, and I, I honestly thought that uh, when he was when he was uh, trying to keep the ball out of the end zone that his foot was on the line. Uh, when, yeah. he, when he, I, I thought that review could have gone the other way, and they could have said, you know what, his his left heel was on the on the end line, and that's gonna go ahead and send it out to the twenty. That was gonna be very frustrating. I was yeah. perfectly prepared for that to happen. Yeah, and Jaden Williams, another guy who was involved in those Notre Dame plays, but yeah. so he, at least he he got this one, but yeah. it was it was a little close. There was another one that was down there where. It bounces like at the four yard line and it goes back to the nine because yeah. it, it, it's a little bit of an unlucky bounce. But at the same point, catch it. Why not? Yeah. They don't yeah. seem to want to feel it. I know it. that SC doesn't want to have risky fair catches. But well, I know that you, by can't, the way, you can't muff in, it. In terms of risky fair catches, oh and if God. you don't know the risky fair catch reference, this goes back to John <laughs> Baxter's scrum uh, this week in which he was asked, why why do you let Bayless Jones return every single uh, every single kick? And he's he's like, well, you know, we know that he can take it 100 yards, and so we're, we're betting on him to be able to do that again. I can understand that. I don't agree with it, but, like, I can get, you can understand where the logic is there. And then he goes on to say that the fair catches, he doesn't want his guys fair catching because it's risky. It's only risky if you have a returner who apparently like, can't cleanly catch the ball, which... Uh, Alicia, if, if he's going to return it, doesn't he also have to catch it? I... Well, what's also funny, <laughs> what's also funny about that is then ASU tried a little pooch kick to the left side of the field, and I believe it was Jalen McKenzie. Yeah, and he, he, fair he, sing, he signals for a fair catch and looks looks about as smooth as Tyler Vaughn's. <laughs> Tyler Vaughn's bringing that in. Yeah, and it's like, yep, look, looked very risky having your your three hundred pound offensive lineman go ahead and reel in a nice little lollipop kickoff. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was it was an interesting Spe- day for, for USC special teams. I want to take a quick break and come right back and talk more about USC's 31-26 win over ASU. All right, welcome back to the CarCast after USC's 31-26 win over ASU. And we know you're listening. You're sitting there in the car, and you're on your way back to L.A., and so, Josh, make sure the the volume is is at a good level, uh, and, and make sure that Keeley's paying attention too. Yeah, I mean, Keeley has to be tuning in so that she can hear us apologize to her every time we talk about the conversation we have on the way to the car cast. Yeah, and you know we do that specifically for her. So if she's not listening, then then that's very disappointing. Yeah. So make sure the volume's good, Josh. Got it. Yeah. All right. Cool. Also, make sure to give, give me that tip that I, that I told you to give me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, let's talk about this game. <laughs> uh, USC wins this 31-26. Uh, and I wrote on Ranatura.com in the takeaway, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, you and I talked about in the, in the car on the way home, Alicia. Sorry, sorry Keely. About how... Like we, we we can sit here and and again be frustrated that USC had one great quarter and three mediocre at best but most likely bad quarters. Oh, I like you using the mediocre word. No, you can use mediocre to talk about one thing. Okay. To talk about a collective, I'm not a fan. Okay. There were three and one. Three is greater than one. The majority of that game, USC was mediocre, right? <laughs> The, the, the point is, uh, you know, I, I don't think it matters at this point. Uh, we, we know what's going on with, with, with Clay Helton. Mike Bone is the new athletic director. We know the direction this is going. The only way Clay Helton miraculously saves his job is if he somehow goes to the Rose Bowl and wins it. At this point, that is looking like it's never in a million years going to happen. So don't worry about it. He's going to get fired at the end of the year. This is not a big deal. And so I think we you can sit here and, and be, like, upset about all this stuff. And I just don't think it's worth it. Like, th- this team is who they are. They, they We know what they do. And, and I'm just – I know I'm making the same argument I've made for, like, the last three or four weeks. But we know what this team is. We know what they are. We know that there's clarity towards the end of uh, end of the Clay Helton era at this point. Just shrug. I, I like I, – I, I don't get the point of getting worked up about it at this point. And I know that it's – that. In in the singular entity of this game, it's absolutely frustrating that this team could go from being on pace for 112 points and then score three points in the last 45 minutes. 
uh, and that's entirely unacceptable. But th- does it really matter? SC's bowl eligible. I think that's the only thing that the only benefits from 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 today's game. Yeah, and really the way that Clay Clay Helton coached today, it seemed like either he was he was coaching like he had nothing to lose, or he was coaching like a man that was already defeated. Because there were some of those fourth down calls where weird. Yeah, it it was a little bit out of character, and it was they were a little longer uh, than usual, and um, for a guy that generally trust his defense uh to when they want to pin guys back uh that really wasn't the case today the case was that they were going to attack on offense and they were going to try to convert um you saw it work out sometimes and at other times i uh, you saw third team all-american jack jones break up <laughs> break up a fourth down pass to tyler vaughn so um yeah clay helton's definitely feeling the pressure uh with with mike bone being introduced as the athletic director who mike bone <laughs> Who? <laughs> you're, you're trying to make this bit happen, and I still don't know what the reference is. I'd, oh my god, you're killing me, Mike Jones. Yeah. I, At I, least you can say who back, right? Yeah, who? Mike who? Jones. Yeah. I'm just so out of the loop right now. Oh god. Call into the rant line and complain about this. Two one three three seven three one eight seven two. Josh, I know you have a phone on you. Call right now. <laughs> Do it. All right. Keely, make sure they does it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So on this on this topic of of Mike Bone. Who? No, you, uh, you can't God. do it that way. It's Killing backwards. me. Killing me. Okay. Mike Bone. I got a tweet from uh, Lame Kiffin who said, even if we win, I'm glad the new AD gets to see the full health and experience. I think there's something to be said about that. If, 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 if Mike Bone already understands that people are generally dissatisfied with the direction of the program... And then he sat down to watch that game. I think he could gain a greater understanding of why. Because look at how good they can be and look at how bad they can be. And they are the bad USC for the majority of that game. They just for once paid off the good USC in the form of 28 points. But but doesn't the good USC, isn't the good USC more frustrating? Because well, it sho- why can't they sustain because it? Because it shows the sign of where they should be, right? Yes. Well, and that's, and that's the point is like Mike Bone... You can look at it and say, but this is how good you were in this game and you weren't able to sustain it. So like if you're going to use the injury excuse, like the injuries weren't actually the thing that that they didn't prevent you from scoring 28 points or limiting ASU to one yard in the first quarter. And the ones that happen later on, like I'll give you the couple of drives that Matt Fink is in. But as we've already discussed, it's not like those were the outliers. Like USC was generally not scoring, even when Keaton Slovis was in there, even when they had the full complement on offense. And the the injuries on defense have always been the bigger problem. So like it, it, you can't even be pointing out to that. So I get the idea that like none of this matters because this coaching staff won't be in place this time next year. And it sort of all is, is pointless anyways. But like my frustration is that I think that there's a culture problem at USC that is maybe not so easily solved as we might think it might be. Like, I think that if you bring in someone like Urban Meyer, you bring in someone like Matt Rule, you bring in someone like James Franklin or whatever, in year one, they're going to have a, actually quite a transformation to have to pull off. Because I'm telling you, after the game, talking to the players, they're endlessly complacent, endlessly content. Um, They were being asked, like, should you have won this game by more? And they were like, no, we celebrate every win, you know. And and Michael and I had this conversation when we were walking out of the stadium. Sorry, Keely. Sorry, Keely. Um, That, you know, what are they supposed to say? Like, what are they supposed to say in response to these things? Like, are they not supposed to be happy that they're going to a bowl? Uh, Which, by the way, USC is now bowl eligible, so... Come on, she's a bull. Um, Vegas. Well, I'd take Vegas, Vegas. too. I'd take Vegas, too. Or the Alamo. I'm good with the Alamo, too. Uh, I can live with Alamo. Just not... Buckies. There's a Buckies. Ayo. Yeah. Just not the Red Box Bowl. I could even live... I'm weird. I could even live with El Paso, just because I've never been there, and like... Trent just gave you should see uh, the the, the look that Trent just gave us right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, El Paso is not my favorite place in the world. I've flown in there a couple times. uh, I I still remember the George Lopez uh, bit about El Paso. Like, so flying in, I feel like the town motto should be El Paso, just add water. (laughs) 
my my fa- so a family member of mine made an El Paso. My family's from um, Texas originally, and somebody made an El Paso joke once, and I was just like, "Oh, so it's not just football people who like think El Paso is the worst." But sorry, anyone who lives in El Paso, if if they go to, to the Sun Bowl in El Paso, you can make Marquis Step jokes. El Paso, the step. Ah, ge- geography. I, the, this is this is where we need the little crickets drop because you're dropping crickets. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the point being that I just don't want the red box bowl. But um, you know USC is bowl eligible, and there you know a player walks by the media room, uh, the the press conference room for after the game. He, he walks by and goes, "The Trojans are going bowling." It's like, dude, like. No. Yeah, the the atti- that attitude is probably the most frustrating aspect of this entire regime. That the fact that that has that type of attitude is pervasive within the locker room that like are you kidding me? You're excited that you're you have six wins on the season and you're yeah. going to a bowl. That's not why you come to USC. No. You come to USC to play in Rose Bowls. You come in come to USC to play in the playoffs. I said we weren't going to talk about the playoffs. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. Yeah, I you kidding me? I, I shouldn't be talking about the playoffs, <laughs> but that's not why you come to USC. And then you you come to USC so that you can get drafted, and then you can go play in the, in the NFL. Well, that it's just it's just not an acceptable mindset to think. Yeah, we we pulled it out against ASU. We we didn't score for three quarters essentially, and let these guys back in the game. And if it wasn't for a timely drop or a timely holding penalty on ASU, surely a timely drop on that last drive. Yeah, God. Yeah, yeah that was. I mean, that easily could have set ASU up for uh, a couple shots there at the end zone. And uh, th- you can't be happy with that performance. And uh, it goes to it goes straight to the coaching staff. The mm-hmm. players are reflecting what the coaches say to them, and that's absolutely a fact. And you can't have a coaching staff that's okay with shutting down for three quarters against a team that isn't elite. I mean, you're not you're not playing LSU tonight. You're not playing Alabama. If you get shut down by Alabama or LSU for a long time throughout a game, then you're fine. Like it's not what you want, but it's it's explainable. You know, okay, maybe this is what happened. They figured something out, and now they're shutting us down. But I just think that the mindset has to completely shift. It's okay to tell the players. It's okay to even tell the media that something is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. It's okay to tell to say that. Like, yeah, our players didn't play good enough in those three quarters tonight, or we needed to make an adjustment as a coaching staff to make our players more successful. Put it on yourself. Like yeah. you don't even have to put it on the players, but it, I just think that that's the biggest issue that I've had for three years with this program is that there isn't any kind of killer instinct. There isn't any kind of want to be like, Hey, we just hung 60 points on a conference, you know, a PAC 12 South team and made them feel like the next time we walked into the stadium, they might as well go home. Cause I, I mean, th- there used to be a feeling that when USC walked in the stadium, the other team would play their hype music and the fans would cheer. And then the first whistle blew and they're like, all right, we're done. Yeah. Like it's over. They were beaten before they even yeah. started. And right now everyone has confidence that they can beat USC. No one's scared. Yeah. Well, I think that's definitely an indictment when you consider SC went up 28 to seven in this game. And ASU wasn't scared. A- ASU was not scared. Like that would have been a perfect time for a team to cower. And ASU did not because they knew. That SC is not that team that put their their boot on your b- boot on your throat. What? Put, put put their jimmies in our angle. <laughs> We're back in El Paso. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so in terms about the 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 bowl eligibility thing, I don't, I have no problem with players being excited about being bowl eligible, especially given last year that they weren't bowl eligible, and I think that you know they go to bowls, they get a prize package, it's extra practice, it is something. Yeah, uh, yeah it, they're not going go to go to the Rose Bowl. They're not going to, you know, go to one of these elaborate bowls more than likely. At the same point, I can understand why they're happy about that. At the same point, have some have some self-awareness, I think, of, of like, be happy and, and, you know, be happy that you're going to a bowl. But at the same point, like in a, in a game like this where you score three points in the last 45 minutes, if you're being asked by media about being bowl eligible, maybe don't don't treat it like the biggest accomplishment in the world. Well, I, I would be fine with the players answering the bowl eligibility question exactly as they did if somebody, anybody, literally any one player 
when asked, should you have, have won this game by more or how are you feeling after this game? I, I got in the habit of, of several games ago of asking, um, are you satisfied with this win? Because there were so many unsatisfying wins from a fan perspective. And I would ask players constantly, are you satisfied with the win? And every single time I'd get, yeah, of course, we're satisfied with everyone. And it's like, I just, I'm teeing you up, guys. I'm teeing you up to answer the question by saying, no, not really. Like, we really need to play better. If we, if we want to accomplish the goals that we want to accomplish later in the season, we really do need to play better. We can't make these mistakes. No one says it. No one has ever said it. And I would give them more credit on the bowl answer if I didn't think that it wasn't a symbol of the complacency that is rampant throughout the locker room. And and, you're, and Trent is right. It starts from the coaching staff. But I don't think that – I don't know that that – gives the players themselves a pass for for falling into the trap of the oh everything's hunky dory and we're just we're just happy to be here kind of mindset. Well, it's not necessarily on the players because it, it comes from above that and it comes from the whole culture thing. I I'm tired of hearing about culture culture culture. I think it's a little nauseating. At the same point, like this is definitely a reflection of the culture. So yeah. That that comes from above. That that comes from the mindset that that, if that, that was is instilled a, from the team level. And if that was a winning culture, it would be fine. If it yeah. worked, it would be fine. But it so obviously doesn't work that you have to then right. look at it as a problem. Yeah, yeah. And I don't have a problem with them being happy about going yeah, to the bowl. Positivity's like, not, not a problem. I, yeah, that's that's not where I take issue. The issue I have is the contentment. Like I don't. You should be happy that you're going to a bowl, but also be aware that you, this this wasn't your goal. Like maybe being bowl eligible at the beginning of the season, you'd like to get there a little sooner than well. You the told 10th us game. you told us all off season your goal was to win the Pac twelve. So, like you've moved the goalposts essentially, and and you're telling us now like oh we're just happy you know happy to have a bowl. Like I don't know. I just wish I wish any player one player would publicly be. But I can't. Then then again, I can't blame the players necessarily because I think that the players think they're being good teammates. By keeping it very buttoned up and and sort of on the surface, like for instance, Keenan Kristen is asked about the red shirt thing. So Keenan Christian Kristen has now um, filled up his red shirt the games he's allowed to to play in. So the next game he plays and he burns his red shirt. And he was asked point blank by a media member, like, so um, you know what what do you think about the red shirt thing? And he was like, oh, I'll just leave it to the coaches. Like whatever they decide is is best for the team. And someone in the, another media member asked, like, but Clay said he would talk to you, that he would find out how you feel. So how do you feel? How, what will you tell him when Clay comes to you to ask you? And Keenan was just like, whatever's best for the team, whatever's best for the team, which like on its surface, on the surface is like, this is fine. This is good. This is what being a good team team player is, is. But like part of me and I don't want to single out Keenan because he he. He does. I mean, I I loved his performance. Even aside from the fumble, I thought he was outstanding in this game and and did literally everything you could ask of him. But like, part of me is sitting there going, like, Keenan, just say I want to play. Like, I want to compete. I will do whatever I need. See, I, I gotta I gotta push back. On this. I know I, I know I'm not what, being fair, what, but what I'm using this as an example. Say? What is he supposed to say? I, he can say I want to I want to compete. I want to compete. I want to play. But if the coaches decide that it's best for the team that I redshirt, mm. then it's best for the team. But I want to play. Like, also, I, I have, and a- I'm and I'm using him as an example, and it's not fair to him. And and you know, I I'm not trying to be specific to that. But like in the general sense, whether it's Keenan Kristen or whether it's Amon Ross St. Brown or Austin Jackson or Drake London or Drake Jackson or whatever, like anyone on this team. If they're asked, like, what what do you want? You, you like, want the you Drew want them to, quotes. You want them to be competitive. You just want them to be competitive and passionate and, like... Right. No, I, I, I get that. I, at the same point, I don't know what he's supposed to say in no, that situation. I, I, the other thing, I have been meaning to, to mention this for a long time. I have a major pet peeve that's starting to come together. I don't like the term... You mean Ed Orgeron beating Alabama? Yeah, but what's his record without Joe Burrow? <laughs> Hey, if we can make that argument about Clay Elton winning, you know, winning only with Sam Darnold, why can't we make that about Joe Burrow? I agree. Just saying. Uh, anyways, the point is that my pet your, peeve, your pet peeve, my pet peeve, the idea of like burning a red shirt, you know, burn the red shirt because by him, pl- if he plays next week against Cal, he burns a year of eligibility. He keeps intact his red shirt. Yeah. It's the opposite of burning the red shirt. 
he keeps that red shirt that he can use for next season or the year after that or whatever. He's burning a year of eligibility. That's fair. Semantics. Semantics, I yeah. I, I like our my big thing. My big thing on the red shirt is we've seen USC burn red shirts that was unnecessary. Mm-hmm. If Keenan Kristen's red shirt is burned, it R- will have Randall been necessary. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you that for sure. Yeah. Like in a perfect world, you you keep his red shirt intact. Uh, no, sorry, you you burn that red shirt. You burn that red shirt by now not. You're, ha- now you're confused. <laughs> okay. So in a perfect world, he red shirts this season. There you go. Uh, like that's how you would have drawn it up before the season because you could have been able to rely on your top three backs. And in in case of an emergency, you would have had Amon Ra and Dom Davis and Jonty and all those guys, right? But that's not how it went down. So I think at this point, if if he ends up exhausting a year of eligibility, I think it's fine. I think you've gotten enough out of him that it, that you don't feel bad about it. So it, it doesn't bother me either way going into Cal, which suddenly looks like a more tough game. Uh, than, than we thought. It was one of those games where at the beginning of the year, I thought that that was an absolute loss. I, I predicted it in our season predictions. Same. We know, we know that Cal's defense is really, really good, especially against the pass. What are they going to be able to do against this offense? Well, Cal started off the season red hot. They beat Washington on the road. They look really good. Then they fell off a freaking cliff and have been terrible for like the last six weeks. And they just kind of manhandled Washington State tonight. Uh, 20, uh, 33 to 20 that were the games on the TV right now. Uh, but it was 33 to 14 in the final minute. So that's a big win for, for Cal and Chase Garber. So now USC goes into that game. Luckily they don't need to win that game for bowl eligibility, mm. but, uh, if, if Clay Helton wants to keep the dream alive of coming back next year, he's, he's got to win that game, then beat UCLA and then beat Oregon and then go beat Minnesota, uh, Penn State. Yeah, well, I, the, the, my pushback is if USC is where they're supposed to be, they're probably not worried about this Cal game. Oh, for sure. Yeah, That's, but they're not I mean, They're not in that position. Yes, reality is what reality is. But it's just, I still look at Cal. You're, you're, with, you're running with Devin Monster in there at quarterback. So um, I think that's, I think that's very limiting for their offense. And if USC's defense puts up another performance where they're giving up between 20 and 30 points with Devin Modster as the opposing quarterback. Uh, it just continues to show the serious flaws that USC has. Yeah. Well, USC is all about showing the serious flaws that they have in Wait, new and exciting flaws? ways. What are you talking about? Well, everything's hunky-dory. We're yeah, all satisfied with road the win. wins. Yeah. yeah they're bowl Look at you. Yeah. Here's some positivity. We saw... We saw a 95-yard touchdown today. Hey-o. That, that was, was a hell of a pass. Uh, hell of a that, pass. That, we, that was the yes. best pass of the year for Keaton? Uh, no, the, I think the, the, the three in, against Stanford were all like... Okay. Uh, yeah. th- those were more eye-droppy. This one was just a the, good toss. The, the thing about this one was that the safety was coming over the top it on the it. It was the timing on it. Just... And he absolutely, I mean, it wasn't quite thread the needle, but he essentially threaded, threaded the needle. And it was such an impressive throw because there was so much pace on the ball that you're like, oh, does, does he have the arm strength to get this there? Oh, he has plenty of arm strength yeah. to and get this he there. He had to put it in the right spot to hit Amon Ra in stride mm-hmm. and score. It was perfect. Like, like yeah. He could have thrown a pass that maybe wasn't as perfect to get the gain, but not the touchdown. And for him to get the touchdown, it needed to be in the right spot. And it was. And Amon Ra was just the blur to, to, yeah. to the end line. And speaking of a blur, we also got to see Keenan Kristen turn on the burners oh, after, yeah. after breaking it. That was a hell of a touchdown because he breaks a tackle there. Yeah, yeah they, they went for the full strip. And he he showed off some strength there, shaking off the defender. And then it was off to the races. And it's always fun to watch that guy get into top gear. Yeah, well, and, it, and I think my favorite Keenan Kristen moment was the first touchdown where... He has a collision at the goal line that he wins. He just lowers his shoulder and bam into the into the end zone. Like that's a 180 pound speed back that's that's willing to lower his shoulder like that and you know initiate contact and and win that battle. Yeah, that's what we've been talking about. Is that he is more versatile than just a speed back. He, yes, he's not just the guy who wants the ball in space and if anyone comes near him, he's going down without a fight. He yeah. he is trending towards being more of a complete back. And the fact that he's such a good pass catcher, which is obvious from tonight, uh, I think bodes well for him moving forward. Yeah. Well, in the 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 long touchdown where he breaks the tackle, that's they're they're they get him the ball downfield on that too. Like it wasn't just a little swing pass out to him. Like 
that's what I've wanted to see. The running backs go out on, on routes, wheel routes and, and all that kind of stuff. it for a while, yeah. Yeah, so it was really nice to see that. I'll, I'll throw out another sort of like helmet sticker positive. Um, Isaiah Pullamau with a hell of a play to get that interception. That was probably my favorite moment of the game because it was on my sideline where I was and I was tracking that play the whole way. You took an awesome picture of it. I did. Well, so cool. It was great because I did it accident, not accidentally because I was in the right place at the right time and I was doing what I needed to do. But like, I swear to God, I did not see Isaiah pull, uh, Isaiah pull him out until he had the ball in his arms. Like I'm focusing, focusing, focusing on, on um, Chris Steele and I'm like, okay, I, I need to get the, I need to get Chris Steele trying to make a play on this ball. And then boom, just there goes Isaiah Plumau. Like, where the hell did he come from? And I look back at my pictures, like he's in the frame for the entire, like he, he, I can see track him coming into the frame. I was just so single minded that it just surprised the hell out of me. So that was, that was probably the best moment of the game. But uh, for me personally. Yeah. I, I sent that picture to my dad. Four exclamation points. Look the at look this, on his face. Look at this Alicia pick. And he writes back, nice. She's getting some good shots. Oh, by the way, I recorded the game, but I'm going to start later from the third quarter. And then, <laughs> then, then he texts me two hours later. The The recording ended with 13 left, 13 minutes left in the game. It was a long game. So I don't know. I, I don't know what happened. I got to. I got to call him after this and see what happened. They, it was. It was a very long game. Actually, does, does he think? Does he think SC won this game by by eleven points? Yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, and okay, here's another positive. Since we're just throwing positives out there, because and okay, this is something that I actually was thinking about because I have to admit, when the game ended, I thought ASU was going to come down and score, and when Chris Rector gets the interception. A, Chris Rector? Is that what you're calling him now? Sure. Christian Rector. That's fine. Whatever. Chris, okay. Whatever. Uh, when he gets the interception, I was so focused in on the, did he actually catch that ball? Uh, Trent and I were talking before we, we started recording um, that like the the video screen at the in the stadium was just not clear enough. I don't think it was sharp enough for us to really tell, did he con- maintain control of that ball through the ground? And so, like, I was talking to people on the sideline, like, was that, a, did you think that was an interception? They're like, no, I, I thought for sure it, it wouldn't, it would get overturned. So I was so confused about that. But then, like, when we got to the media room and he's one of the guys who's there and Kyle Kensing actually tweets me, well, tweet, he added me in a tweet about how, like, I had written a feature on Rector uh, from Media Day. And, like, he came, like, he was great. He's been a USC fan his whole life. Um, he was just super, super excited to be a Trojan, super excited to be a captain. Like it's just in his family and all this kind of stuff. And then you realize like, that's the cool moment. That's the three-star guy who built himself up uh, into being a captain, who's had a lot of injury problems. We've talked about how he hasn't been super effective this year. Um, and that's been a bummer, but he does come out in that moment and have this great shining moment where he makes the play that wins the game. And like, that's super cool. Like that's, living up to we we wanted impact plays from USC's defense vents and we haven't really got them uh and I think Drake Jackson in this game proved how much USC has missed him because he was constantly in the play um and to have Christian Rector come up with that with that moment you know that's all I ask I, I want guys to have impact impact moments and I think that uh in terms of the the meaning of it for an individual it was really really cool well and talking about positivity it's not like we don't want more of this. Yeah, like, we, we, it, want, we po- want the players the, the to do pos- well. The positive plays are fantastic. Yeah. It's it's more fun to talk about. It's more fun to write about. Like everything about it when the team is going what going good, um, y- you know, you enjoy that. And That's the so, funny thing about criticism of media going like, you guys are so negative. It's like we don't want – like genuinely we want to talk about the good stuff more. Yeah. And I mean it – that's – I think that's the frustration is that you want – to see these really talented players do things like this more often. Yeah. And that's that's where I think everyone's at is that you see you see the 95-yard touchdown. You see the throws that Keaton Slovis can make. You see good defensive plays by Drake Jackson or Christian Rector or IPM or Talanova Hufunga's interception he that looked, got he called He looked good back. today, though. Yeah, he looked fantastic. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it makes a huge difference having him out there. There's absolutely no doubt about it. But you see those plays and – you know, like we talk about it all the time, you know, the talents there, you know, these what these guys are capable of. And that's why you just want to see it present more often. You want to see that unlocked because those the 
they're just they are capable of more. They're without a doubt. You you want to see them live up to their potential, and when you're critical of them, like it's not out of a place of hatred or or demeaning or being demeaning or anything like that. It's literally from a place of like I want you to be the best version of yourself, and so we everyone is just sitting here going like, "Be good for four quarters." For the love of God, be good right. for four quarters. Yeah, you, you mentioned the media thing, and it's like, it, first of all, it's better for business if the team's good. Absolutely. That's what a lot of people don't understand. Yeah, it's better for business, business if the team's good. Uh, yeah. Secondly, it's better for all of our lives, all of the media's lives, if the team is good. That means more games, more trips, more cool trips. Less like, depressing trips. All these hey, things. Another, well, is this, is, this a, is this a home game it for is, you? This doesn't count. So better better interactions with the coaches and players as well. Yes, I mean, yeah. that's it's a lot easier yeah. to <laughs> talk about. Hey, you guys are doing great. Then hey, why are you guys not living up yeah. to what right. everyone thinks you can? Yeah, but I don't know about better meetups because we had an awesome meetup on Friday night uh, in Phoenix at the Churchill. Uh, super 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 fun time. We met so many great people, uh, and I had a blast. Alicia, I know you had a good time. I think Trent, you had a great time. It was uh, it was fun. Yeah, I mean, every every time we do a meetup, it's been super awesome because the robots are all just cool people, and you get to sit down and have conversations. Like, had a nice long conversation with uh, with Greg uh, and uh, and Jay in Atlanta, and like got to meet his daughter, Ralph and, like, and his wife. Yeah, Ralph. Yeah, I mean, just everybody that came out. Like, it was super super cool, and like, I don't know, it's it's just fun to to chill with with people who are like minded, at least in the, in our you know investment in in usc in usc football and and wanting to see usc do well whether it's because you know <laughs> you want business to be rolling or because you just want to not be depressed all the time but yeah you know that's that's the the good thing is you won't be depressed for long because he's gonna go to the cheese bowl probably so oh gosh i hope <laughs> i hope I, we, I really don't think the cheese bowl is gonna happen that's what i was because at this point sc can finish no worse than five and four more than likely, they're going to get at least one more win in conference, right? That six and three, there's no way six and three goes to the Cheese Bowl. Like six and three is looking like they you know. okay. Hold on, the, they just showed the replay of the Amon Ross St. Brown touchdown. This is my first time seeing the overhead view. That is freaking gorgeous. It's a convergence of three of three ASU defenders, and Keaton just puts it right over the top. To uh to hit to hit Alan Ra that's that's outstanding, um that's gonna be fun to watch to 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 rewatch, uh, because that was just that was just fun like just the time the timing of it while Michael is queuing it back so that he can see it himself. Wow! Can, can I go on a little bit of a rant? I don't know if it's a rant, but like it's a comment. One of the worst things about covering the scene right now, about watching the scene right now, is how cringe everything is. Like. Trent brought up the media interactions. It's really cringe being in a scrum with somebody who knows that you're going to ask them like a difficult question and they don't want to answer it or to have players walk by and like just go like, nah, I'm not talking because, you know, they're just not interested in talking anymore. Oh, the Michael Pittman? Yes, specifically Michael Pittman. No, I'm using it as a verb. I'm not saying Michael Pittman. Oh, the Michael Pittman. Yeah. The Michael Pittman. Well, the Michael Pittman did the Michael Pittman uh, tonight. And... um. By far, the cringiest moment of the last six months was when Clay Helton walked into the press room and started his postgame comments by saying that, you know, it was great to see the, the team that they even even dealing with the injuries. They fought on. But not just that. They fought on to victory. Oh, where did you get where did you get that from? I d- That's painful. I just so it's funny because I'd been having conversations with people about how much I liked that line when Mike Bone did it in the press conference. Like it was like, oh, that's great because it's an outsider coming in and making that observation. Yeah, and then you, you and I were talking about in in, in the car. Sorry, sorry, Kelly, that this was like a stepdad coming home. And hearing his kids say the word lit for the first time. Yeah. And then he comes home with a pizza and he's like, all right, kids, it's lit, fam. With, yeah. With the pizza. Yeah, it's lit, fam, is literally the equivalent of what Clay Hilton did to the fight on to victory. Like, it was so endearing when Mike Bone said it. When Clay Hilton said it, it was just like, oh, God. Uh, no, Clay, what? 
can I blame Coach Helton for this? What are you doing? Okay, here's here's what I to be constructive about this, Clay. If you're gonna do that, you come in and say they fought on. But you know, when Mike Bone, you know, new our new AD, Mike Bones, to, to acknowledge like acknowledge Mike, it so it's not a bit like Mike Bone said, uh, it's fight on to victory, and that's what we did. Like you can do it, you but to to just drop it there. Just drop it there. It was, it was, I, oh, buddy, the cringe, the cringe. I know. It was like, are you sending a message? There, there, are could, you? Could are there you, be a, a Cody and Noel that's cringe about it? I mean, we should do a, a that's cringe about all of the things in USC's postgame <laughs> pressers. But like, can, is he trying to send a message to Mike Bone? Like, was that like a little nod to him? Like, hey, I'm listening to you. I like, mean, it, it has to be right. Oh like, my you, gosh! You, you don't, you don't come out with that out of nowhere. Like that, that has to be, has to be pre-orchestrated. But I think we uh, we car cast the victory. I think that's the the important part here. Uh, it was it was good to talk about this game, even as as dumb and stupid as it was, uh, and as annoying as the season has been for USC and frustrating. Uh, the end is nigh, so get 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 ready, get get ready for it. Uh, USC plays Cal next week, eight p.m. on uh, Pac-12 Network. It's on Fox. Oh no, or FS1. FS1. Yeah, yeah, because no one knew that FS1 had an eight o'clock time slot. Yeah, 8 but they PM, do, which is nine p.m. Arizona time. But I'll be at the game, so it won't matter. I guess. Yeah, but eight eight p.m. is a very very late time to start a game. I know, but hey. All the the primetime games on the East Coast start at 8 p.m. So we'll we'll finally get to feel what it feels like for like Boston College fans. Yeah. yeah. But I've always maintained being a West Coast sports fan is better than being an East Coast sports fan. And this is precisely why. This is this is true indeed. It's it's better as long as you're the person who's on the West. You know, if you're if you're a a fan of West Coast teams, you need to be on the West Coast. Yes. If you're on the East Coast, it's a little miserable. Yes. And I have personal experience with that. Well, apologies to all of the Eastern time zone Trojan fans out there because, ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Starting a game in 11 kind of sucks. Yeah. But this is when I make the the thing. If USC football is that important to you, one day in which the game starts at 11 p.m. is not a big deal. Exactly. But, but also. All right, that's going to wrap up this episode. Thanks for, as always, listening. 213 373 1USC. Show. That's our phone number. Email address renoftroy at fansided.com. You can follow us on Twitter at renoftroy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash renoftroy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. That always helps out as well. Uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash renoftroy. We can get all of our bonus episodes, including Alicia's. Weekly rewatches along with practice car casts and pre-game Q and A's, where we unveiled uh, the new drop. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was in the pre-game Q and A this week. Uh, Trent, thanks for coming by. It was super fun to talk about this game, even if the game wasn't that fun. Yeah, definitely. It's always good to talk about USC football, and uh, I think there's there's brighter days. I, I, I'm, I'm going to keep it positive here at the end. There's uh, there's brighter days coming. Yeah, I, I, I think so too. Uh, Alicia, you got a a final word? Positivity. All right. That works. Uh, Until next time, we will see you. See you. See you. See you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.